Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Vadim. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the December 1979 issue of The Uncanny X-Men, number 128, on sale September 18th of 1979. And this one is titled The Action of the Tiger. Action of the Tiger is a suspenseful and breathtaking journey into danger. Starring Van Johnson as a reluctant adventurer with luscious Martine Carroll. He shares the hazards of a perilous mission in a hostile land. Or the day reality went wild. Now, I did a little research because I was like, the action of the tiger, what the heck's that about? Yeah. And it is another Shakespeare quote. Hmm. This one from Henry V. Okay. So then I did some research into uh, Proteus, and Proteus is from Greek mythology. Okay. And he is some sort of sea god who changes shape. Uh, That may have something to do with the term sea change. Um, Wikipedia says the uh, Proteus suggests the constantly changing nature of the sea or the liquid quality of water in general. Hmm. Uh, Later... The Wikipedia article talks about Shakespeare's use of Proteus, both in Henry VI and the Two Gentlemen of Verona, uh, referring to the Greek uh, uh, myth in the former and a character that he created who is inconsistent uh, with his behavior in the latter. Uh, From Henry VI, it says, I can add colors to the chameleon, change shapes with Proteus for advantages, and set the murderous, murderous Machiavel to school, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, <laughs> that's why we're getting all these Shakespearean-style titles. Like the quality of the sh- of hatred and what? How sharper the serpent's tooth? How sharper the serpent's tooth? The quality of hatred, I couldn't figure out. With it. There's a line in, uh, I believe it was The Merchant in, of Venice, where he talks about the quality of mercy. Hmm. But um, I couldn't find figure out where the quality of hatred was from. Okay. Well, on the cover of this particular issue, um, reality has gone crazy. Not only that, but George Perez took over the cover. Okay. And it's a Perez Austin cover. And it's it's okay. It's a bit busy for my tastes. But well, d- it's the day reality went wild. You got a whole bunch of buildings that are going all flippity floppity the ground is like molten i don't know tar that's kind of raising up in the air moira's digging around in that uh that bubbly uh tar cyclops is shooting at a building which is dropping bricks down upon what maybe could be wolverine colossus is trying to hold the building up uh nightcrawler is teleporting or actually just jumping around with some woman in a purple hat phoenix flies on as does polaris no sign of havoc Storm is back there, and so is Banshee. They're not really doing a whole lot. But you're right. Havoc, apparently, is maybe the cause of all of this reality wild-bending stuff. Well, we know that's not true. (laughs) In a surprise twist. (laughs) You're crazy. (laughs) No, Adam, I'm wild. (laughs) So we open up this book. It's a Chris Claremont and John Byrne joint author, plotters, penciler. And I noticed, I don't, this is probably just a very nuanced thing, but I noticed that author was singular, plotters was plural, and penciler was singular again. 
So that's mm. you know, just delineating exactly who's doing what, I think. Terry Austin's inking, Tom Orzachowski's lettering, Glynis Ween is coloring, Roger Stern is editing, and Jim Shooter is editing in chiefing. It's true. Hey, Jeremy, you ever hear a city scream? Um, Not just the people, Adam, but the city itself? That's what I'm talking about. No, I've never heard that. Have you? No, no, never heard okay. it. Okay. Well, this comic book does attempt to try to describe what that sounds like, and it's like cockroaches and cobblestones and skyscrapers and sub-basements, all of that stuff screaming out all at once. And that's what it sounds like. <laughs> that's literally what it sounds like, but it's drawn out for like 30 minutes. Everybody in the city's going crazy. So I want to point out uh, right away, um, let's see, Joe. this is Joe McTaggart, and he's, well, Proteus is Joe McTaggart. He has got all of Edinburgh just, going reality wacky uh all sorts of people are flying all over the place the buildings are all warped and bent he seems to be affecting a lot of people all at the same time yeah especially that girl in the skirt and the blind guy yes they are not having a good day there's six of these people i guess these six people make up the bulk of uh, edinburgh which is where they are at so i assume you're bringing this up as a later plot point. Yeah, just a nitpicky thing, but yes. So stick a pin in it, listeners, because it might come back. I'll try to remember this. I'll have a, I'll have a kind of opposing argument of sorts. Okay. Uh, apparently, so Moira is trying to reason with her son slash her husband uh, on the next page, and she just... He... That's got to be messy. Exactly. This is my son and my husband all in one. And they're killing everybody. But uh, he's not really hearing much of it. The X-Men are running towards the, well, towards Proteus and Moira, who I guess, what happened at the end of the last issue, they ran away and the X-Men argued about whether or not they were going to have to kill Moira to get to Proteus. And Cyclops said, we have to do what we have to do. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think Proteus zoomed away. I'm looking back at a couple of pages and he was kind of like, I'll get you, you dirty kids, and your little dog, too. But he was zooming backwards. It's not as if he was running away, but he was, like, living to fight another day or something. Well, he apparently didn't zoom too far. Maybe a couple blocks. Yeah. yeah. I also want to point out that I think it was uh, it was this last issue where Cyclops stopped Moira from shooting Proteus and ending that last issue. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he changes his mind. <laughs> Spoilers, Adam. We're not there yet. Well, he kind of said it in the last page of the last issue. Okay. We have to do what we can to stop Proteus, even if it means risking Moira's life. So if they're willing to get, get like uh, sacrifice Moira, I'm assuming they're planning on killing Proteus. Some of them are just bloodthirsty, savage monsters. So they're running towards Proteus and Moira, and uh, some people along the way are getting in trouble, and Cyclops says, before we get there, we have to get these people to safety. And um, I don't know, this woman, this woman getting being attacked by the wall. I don't know, have you ever been attacked by a wall and had, you know, the resources about you to say, it's impossible, that wall's attacking me! Or would you more likely say, ah! <laughs> Especially given the extra challenge factor that it looks like she's holding a baby. 
No, that's just some bread. Is it? No, it's it's probably a baby. <laughs> the way she's cradling it, it's either like the most delicious loaf of bread ever or it's a baby. <laughs> but no, Adam, I, I've never been attacked by a wall, but that's probably not what I would say. But uh, that's okay because Cyclops is there and he can blast those bricks out of the way. Jean thinks to herself as she rescues someone, the more Proteus uses his power, the stronger he gets. Soon he'll be unbeatable. Now, isn't that the reverse of what we were like? Wasn't it the more power he used before, the more likely he had to change bodies and the weaker he got? Or am I misunderstanding it? I don't know. It's like a, it's like a, a sine curve or a bell curve, right? So I think the more power he uses, the weaker the body he is in gets, but the more control of his power he ultimately has for his next host. Oh, okay. Meh, that's kind of how I took it anyways. I'll buy that. Yeah, okay. For a dollar. <laughs> oh, did you see that remake? Or were you just no. making random RoboCop references? I was making random, timely RoboCop references. Perfect. Forever locking this episode in the RoboCop remake time frame. I have no idea if that quote is used in the new RoboCop movie because I haven't seen it. If it's not used, it would be a crying shame. Yeah, that would be dumb of them <laughs> not to do, I suppose. Nightcrawler swings into action. Uh, apparently there's a woman with a yellow hat who has also gotten herself into a little bit of reality warping trouble. And uh, she's not quite sure that she actually wants to be rescued by him because she says, You, you're blue! I don't know. And uh, Nightcrawler, actually, he's like, Oh, the name's Nightcrawler and swashbuckling is the game. Agility is my specialty. So I don't know if that's Chris Claremont being like, boy, I really don't use Nightcrawler's powers. I'm going to drop in this new word called agility. <laughs> you think so? I don't know. I mean, we know that we know that Nightcrawler is agile, but do you think that's just because we know him from history? Uh, he's, I mean, he certainly displayed some uh, agility throughout all of these issues, but I think this is the first time he's directly referring to it as that word. And it just seems to me like... Well, since he's not going to be teleporting, let's. What else of him can we focus on? And we're not doing that whole uh, Nightcrawler hiding in the shadows thing anymore. So agility, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. But while all of that's going on, I guess Proteus has also turned a wall, I think, or a gate, one of the two, into a giant horde of bees. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Aurora debates whether or not she can kill the bees because they're alive and that's not fair. She doesn't want to get rid of any lives. Which I kind of have a problem with. I mean, so her plan is to generate a windstorm to blow the back, the to blow the bees back into the shop where I guess they were developed out of and lower the air temperature so that they go into hibernation. But first of all, these bees were created out of a wall, so they shouldn't exist in the first place. And second of all, after they get done hibernating, where are all these bees going to go? Uh, that's a great question. Um, hopefully they'll turn back into the wall. <laughs> oh, I guess I, we've not really addressed that, have we? I don't even know if this issue addresses, like, after Proteus loses his concentration or control on reality bending, does everything he reality bent go back to normal, or does it stay all bent? I don't know. Huh. I didn't even think about that until just now. If he reality bends, is there like some sort of cosmic effect where somewhere a group of bees has just turned into a wall on the other side of the world? Adam, you just blew my mind. 
That's what I'm here for. I want to write. I want to see that comic book. I don't want to write it. I want somebody else to write that comic book so that I can read it. No, you want to write a letter to the letters page right now, <laughs> refer, referencing this issue. You should do something with this. Bring Proteus back, but bring him back as a good guy who's got these powers that he can use to warp, warp reality, but whenever he does it, there's an exact opposite effect from another part of the world. And so he has to be totally responsible with his powers, but he keeps getting into these situations where only his powers will get him out of the situation. Whoa. Actually, that kind of seems like, or sounds like Shade the Changing Man, so maybe it's already been done. Wolverine is saving a granny. Watch it, granny. But uh, he's thinking to himself that he's starting to come unglued inside just like he did last time Proteus zapped him, which was this morning. Mm Mm-hmm. And he further explains that when Proteus screws up reality, it drives my senses crazy. And then my claws, my strength, none of them do any good. So I'm glad that we're finally explaining what happened to Wolverine. It doesn't seem like we ever really explained it until now. Yeah, no, I'm good with that. The ground starts rising up, uh, which freaks Wolverine out a little bit. But Polaris flies in and uses her magnetic powers to fly him to safety. Oh, Wolverine, you're heavy. <laughs> Looks like she grabs him by his uh, underoos. His belt buckle. Not his belt buckle, it's just like his belt. Well, right, right. Okay, not the not the buckle. Someone could assume that her hand might actually be down his pants. But here's my question. <laughs> Wolverine, he's got adamantium bones, as we recently learned. Like, why does she even need to touch him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that's a good point. <laughs> well, you know. They haven't established that yet. Oh, okay. I mean, they have with Magneto, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> They've just kind of given up on the whole writing aspect of Polaris. Wolverine thinks to himself, I'm running from a scrap, and for the first time, I'm glad. <laughs> Poor Wolverine. Well, so there's no rhyme or reason to Proteus's action. If a whim strikes him, he indulges it. So he's waited half of his life for this moment, and he means to enjoy himself. So... We now get to learn how he escaped. Yeah, we get we get to learn all. He basically has a flashback. Yeah. While he's enjoying himself, he reveals that when Magneto was throwing Wolverine around by his claws, which I suppose was before we knew that Wolverine had metallic bones. Right, right. Good point, good call. Wolverine ran into the door marked Prisoner X, which knocked it open. Did we... See that in the pages of X-Men number 104? I don't think so. I don't recall. I think think we saw at the end of the issue that the door marked Mutant X was open. Okay, that could be. I remember seeing that. I just don't remember exactly when. But I don't know that we saw Wolverine smash it open. Yeah. So after Magneto and the rest of the X-Men left, uh, Mutant X was able to escape his cell. But... The energy field that sustained his body burnt out, or actually was turned off, I guess, and his mutant body began to burn out. Yes, uh, I guess Wolverine also destroyed that when he hit the console or something like that. Really, this is all Wolverine's fault. Yeah, pretty much. That's why he's so angry at Wolverine. So then we get uh, uh, the McWhorter guy, Angus McWhorter, he's walking, but we get to see it from Mutant X's perspective as he's peering around the... Uh, door of his cell. He kind of looks like Gollum here, but he has red eyes. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Angus McWhorter never had a chance. Mutant X took over his body, and he 
apparently absorbed enough of Angus McWhorter's electronic background that he was able to completely reprogram the lab's main computers to show his cell was sealed as tight as when he was there, when in fact it was actually wide open. Wow, McWhorter's in the wrong field. (laughs) Here we just thought he was a boat rental captain, but no, he is a mutant genetic lab reprogramming fool. Maybe it was really easy. Like there was a button that said, (laughs) press this button to... uh, Do whatever you want. Yeah. (laughs) How handy. But before he could slip off into the world to start devouring bodies, Moira returned with friends, and that's when he discovered the delicious-looking Jean Grey, who he wanted to possess. And who wouldn't? Yeah. And that takes us up to where Moira found the gold tooth and discovered the crippled body of, well, I guess the dead body of her son. And Jean was... um, Surprise attacked. We get to see Jamie Madrox, one of his copies, gets uh, overtaken by mutant decks. And then the lineage of the mutant decks to the cop, to the girl, to somebody, to Joe. This is like a page and a half of recaps. Yeah. Some of it's neat, though. I mean, a lot of it's from a vantage point we never saw before. It kind of fills in some of the gaps. But it's, it's a little lengthy. And then we see Joe, well, slash Proteus, warp. Uh, I guess Moira, in a similar way that we saw him warp Nightcrawler and uh, uh, Wolverine, he also turns her into some sort of elephant-like creature with uh, fish gills, which you can recognize that it's still her because he say he keeps her red hair. Yeah, she gets to keep the bob haircut, but now she's a gray elephant uh, with a little teeny elephant trunk and claws, and uh, kind of like a. Uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon gills. I don't even know if you call those gills or just face fins, <laughs> but whatever. Face fins. <laughs> she got face fins. And apparently um, sh- he's mad, I guess, that she fought his father and eventually left him. He didn't like that, so I don't want you to do that to me. So you're mine, body and soul. So the X-Men continue uh, running back, and I believe this is where you want to make your point. Everything has suddenly returned back to normal, and Cyclops says, I'm not sure why, uh, Colossus. Maybe Proteus's power is only good against one target at a time, question mark. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of a lousy theory because the reality bending was affecting all of the X-Men, plus, at the very least... Six Edinburghians, right? So uh, that kind of blows yeah. the theory that it only works against one target at a time. A, it's just a theory, and <laughs> we could say that Cyclops is wrong. And B, maybe his target was not the people, but the city. <gasps> right. And we've learned that his reality warping power is actually warp reality. There, It's not just like a mastermind where it's in your head. All right. You win this time. I, I don't know if that's a win or what, but, you know. No, no. I, it's, it's a sound theory. It's a sound theory. As far as comic book logic goes, I I, I concede my point. So, anyways, Sean is all upset. Uh, he wants to know what about Moira. And he, he and Cyclops kind of have a back and forth. Um, Banshee, who has no powers and 
really doesn't need to be working with his team at this point. He's He wants to go after Moira, and Cyclops is like, no, wait, we have to go in as a team, even if it means somebody's life. I'm tired of waiting. She's the woman I love, curse ye. And you're prepared to let her die. Well, he, he being the gentleman that Cyclops is, he hopes it doesn't come to that. <laughs> I really hope it doesn't come to that. But to stop Proteus, I'll sacrifice her life, my life, your life, every X-Man's life, if I have to. Ye cold-blooded! Look, Proteus is the deadliest menace we've ever faced. He's a killer, pure and simple. Humanity means no more to us, no more to him than cows do to us, and we're his food! Ooh, no. a, <laughs> that is a deep statement. <laughs> so, Cyclops starts laying out the plan to uh, Banshee and Colossus, but eventually Phoenix sets up a psychic switchboard, which... I think later they're going to start calling a psychic link, but psychic switchboard works for the, I guess, the seventies era. They should have kept psychic switchboard. <laughs> I think it's cool. It's it's kind of retro, isn't it? I want to start a band called Psychic Switchboard. Uh, so she sets up the psychic switchboard board in order to have Cyclops be able to telepathically tell every X Men what their role in the plan actually is, and it starts with oh, Storm. Oh, oh, oh. I got it! I got it! I got it! Listeners. You need to create a drink called a psychic swishboard or a psychic link. Mm. Yes. Do that. <laughs> Put it on Facebook or email us, the psychic switchboard or the psychic link. If your recipe is selected, and really if you just submit a recipe, it will be selected. We will uh, we will taste test it and we will let you know the results. Unless you're telling us to buy like $900 whiskey, in which case we'll substitute it with $9 whiskey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, make sure that any ingredients are in season or we'll have to wait a while. <laughs> wow. Adam's getting all fancy. It's going to be like just a dash of primrose. Like, oh, I can't get that. Farmer's market's <laughs> not open for another six months. Exactly. So uh, Storm's theory or somebody's theory is that um, – Proteus has to be able to see what he is affecting in order for him to be able to affect it. So she whips up a pea soup fog to immobilize his vision and confuse him. But apparently he she waited too long because he has a psychic fix on her and he warps her reality uh, so that her cloak turns into liquid, which then turns into a pillar of amber... Uh, freezing her into like what looks like basically an ice sculpture. Wolverine freaks out. If that hunk of crystal is as solid as it looks, she'll suffocate in seconds. But if I try to save her, I'll be leaving myself wide open to Proteus. Just thinking about that turns my guts to ice. But I can't. Ah, oh, time's up. <laughs> She's dead. <laughs> Darn it! I was thinking out, thinking to myself for too long. Wolverine, why do you do that all the time? <laughs> Well, he uses his adamantium claws to cut through the amber, and apparently he succeeds. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he slashes through her back, however. Yeah, she's bleeding uncontrollably. <laughs> Banshee is over there administering first aid. Wolverine, you're not. What have you done? Boyo. And he's got his back faced to Proteus, who says... Shame on you, Wolverine. You should know better than to turn your back on someone who's so worn to kill. Damn. He gets shot 
And he says, my shoulder. Uh, Cyclops is like, what? Bitch, you just shot him. Yeah. Apparently that was way off script too because Cyclops was pretty surprised. I wonder, where did Banshee get a gun from? He's been carrying it around all the time. It's from his Interpol days. <laughs> I always carry one of these on my ankle, boyo. <laughs> I'm not standing by while my friends are getting being murdered, not where they can help. But Proteus opens up the ground beneath him and he falls deep down into a pit Which... in the ground and then uh, Proteus closes the top of the pit. I don't know why Proteus didn't just close the entire pit, but he only closes the top of the pit. Yeah, it doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense, but I guess either as he's closing it or as he is just close to the top, Cyclops uses his optic beams to blast down, well, to open up the hole back so that Nightcrawler, rather than teleporting down and teleporting out, can wall crawl down, I guess, and then try to wall crawl back up with Banshee. Yeah, it doesn't make sense why he doesn't... I mean, I could, I can understand why he might have to wall crawl down, because he doesn't... Maybe he can't see the ground or something. But I don't know why he can't wall crawl back up, or uh, why he can't bamf back up. Yeah, not, not only that, as he's wall crawling up, I mean, he's carrying Banshee. Banshee's probably a good 150, 160. Nightcrawler, shorter, skinnier frame. He's probably a good 130, 140. But he's got uh, Banshee just thrown over his shoulder as he races up this uh, sheer cliff as if he don't have a worry in this world. Well, I guess they kind of do explain it as it comes up because Proteus starts to warp his reality uh and that's when Nightcrawler does decide, oh, I'm, I'm running out of time. I better bamf. And he does bamf, but then it says the strain almost kills them both. And he's all like, uh, feel torn apart inside. So high, so high off ground. Can't see any way to break fall. Vas? Some kind of energy fields are spinning us in midair. And that's Polaris saving them. But I guess he didn't want to bamf because uh, bamfing another person still takes a lot of energy out mm. of him. Yeah, okay. So he was trying to be efficient. Okay. Well, Polaris in there to save the day. She actually makes a comment to that uh, extent saying, this is getting to be a habit. And he, he, he does bamf way up in the midair because he's in a panic. Right. So. He wants to teleport as high up in the air as possible to try to clear the top of the hole and make sure that he doesn't teleport into anything. So, yeah, I'm good. Right. Which, you know, normally I would be like, well, why doesn't he have more control over his power? Right. But he's in a panic. Okay. So they all land on the ground. Moira, or not Moira, Lorna points out that Banshee is out for the count. Nightcrawler, on the other hand, he's, well, he's hurt, but he's okay. Yeah, Banshee broke his back or something. I mean, that was quite a fall. Yeah. Uh, Storm is up and about. Colossus does not like this. He wants her not to be on her feet. You should not be on your feet. So long as I am able to help Peter, I will. Thanks, Storm. Hey, Havoc Talks. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, off the bat, we're down X-Men, Scotty, and um, Proteus seems stronger as ever. No one said this would be easy, Havoc, says Aurora. Go back to whatever you're doing. We don't need you. I, um, don't think, you know, I don't think this X-Men thing is cut out for me. I don't really seem to do a whole lot. Except for crash my car. There's Lorna. By the way, did I tell you what happens to me every now and then? I shut my eyes and reality goes crazy. No, I didn't tell you? Okay. Well, I'll be over here in the corner. I'll tell you in 20 years. <laughs> All right. Well, Cyclops says that nobody guaranteed that they'd win, but 
they have to try. So he sent Phoenix on ahead to get to, uh, so the X-Men should get after her. Proteus is got, he's got Moira and he's, uh, the ground is moving underneath him, which is transporting him very quickly into uh, a forest-type area. But he gets attacked psychically by a psychic mind blast by Phoenix. I believe you owe me a rematch for that ambush on Muir Island, Proteus. I'm here to collect with interest. And then she blasts him. She does. And Moira, for some reason, says, what are you doing? I, I think... Why doesn't she knows what he, she can see? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at first she's like, "What are you doing, Gene?" But then after that, she's like, "He's down, but not giving up." So then it's kind of like she turns around, and is like, "Yes, I think I get it. We're not going to be able to save him, are we?" Even though I almost shot him a little bit earlier. <laughs> right. I can't make up my mind. Well, there was that scene where I almost shot my husband, but then for no reason whatsoever, I turned around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going through a lot of emotions right now. <laughs> Ah, yes. Changes. Wolverine is watching in the shadows of a tree. Uh, Apparently he climbed a tree at some point. And uh, why is he in a tree? (laughs) And I'm just going to climb up in this tree and watch things from afar. I don't know how I managed to get ahead of all these guys, but I, I figure I'll just climb up this tree right now and hang out. He generally likes to spend his time admiring Gene from treetops. (laughs) <laughs> oh, she's so pretty. Hey, roughhouse, babe, you're my kind of girl. Uh-oh, my guts are churning. Proteus must be fighting back. And fight back he does. He blasts uh, Phoenix with something that makes her see-through. And now we can see her skeleton. Leave her alone, says Wolverine as he jumps down from the tree. I loved that lady, bub. And I'll see you dead before I let you hurt her again. But what about... Mariko. Well, he, that's why he says he loved that lady, not oh. he loves that lady. See, when I read it, it was like, oh my God, you killed Jean. I loved her, and now I'm going to kill you. That's how I read that. Well, no, because he says, I'll see you dead before I let you hurt her again. So he knows she's alive. Oh, see, I didn't read that part. <laughs> you just skipped. You're just reading every other panel. <laughs> no, actually, I stopped reading the entire rest of the comic book. I wanted it to be a surprise. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all right. So anyways, uh, I guess you're right. If I would have read that a little closer, then it would have made a lot more sense. Uh, and on the very next panel, Jean is actually on all fours, kind of rubbing her head like, oh, my God, I just got hit really hard. And that's when Cyclops and Havoc show up on either side of Proteus. And Cyclops says, Wolverine, get more away from her now, mister. And that's when Wolverine says, man, you weren't kidding about us being expendable, were you? Jean zapped bad, psych. And you ain't even battling an eye, batting an eyelash. Well, and Cyclops, as he jumped out of the bushes before he yelled at Wolverine, was like, "Oh my God, that Jean, that Jean, that scream! Jean's down, hurt. No, I can't think about that. I dare not, or I'll crack wide open. I have to focus on the job at hand. Nothing else. So I'm going to yell at Wolverine. Wolverine, <laughs> get away from her." Havoc thinks to himself, "Short stuff. You are so off brace about my brother. It's pathetic. But this isn't the time for a debate. I'm just." I'm just going to think about this. Reality's warping again. Uh, guys, it feels like I'm crashing headlong in love with Lorna, <laughs> the girl I love. Uh, hello? All right. Focus. <laughs> no, uh, I guess we should shoot Proteus. So Cyclops and Havoc both use their powers to blast Proteus. They are opposite each other. Incredible. Proteus survived Wolverine's attack. 
Now he's standing up to the combined power of my optic beams and Alex's cosmic energy bolts. What'll it take to stop this guy? Wolverine is, for some reason, climbing a mountain with Moira on his back. Yeah. When Cyclops said, get Moira away from here, Wolverine took it quite seriously and took the like most difficult route possible. He's like, Bub, there's one thing I do, and one thing I do well, and that's follow orders. <laughs> Where are you taking me? I'm taking you up the mountain. As far away as possible. <laughs> okay, I guess. My name's Wolverine. I'm the best at what I do, and what I do is get people away really fast. What I do is climb cliffs with ladies hanging on my back. Well, so Proteus's body disintegrates, and Cyclops shoots Havoc, and Havoc shoots Cyclops, and they die. No, they don't die, because we already—I think we already know this. This isn't the first time we were realizing this. We've, we've no, seen no, this no, before, no, no, haven't yeah. we? I think we saw Havoc shoot Cyclops at one point, and, but yeah. Cyclops says, "Ow, that hurts. Good thing my body is able to metabolize most of his power." Most of the power of Alex's bolts, as his is able to absorb mine, where we both be wasted now. That's because we're brothers, in case you didn't know. Related. Have the same father, and the same mother, and the same last name. <laughs> Proteus, I guess, well, I guess he didn't disintegrate, but he kind of like turned into some like a pile of goop, and now he's skating off on more goop. Yeah, he changed his shape in order to get away, but he he now changes his shape back, and now he's... Really damaged, battle damaged. He's like zombie Proteus. He's uh, he's all messed up and decomposed. He needs a new host, and he's decided he's going to take Moira. Sure, why not? And that's when Wolverine notices that gravity is going screwy, so Proteus must be back. And he is. He knocks Wolverine off the cliff. Holy! And grabs Moira. Wolverine! In the most ridiculous scene ever, Cyclops lower, low, uh, slows... Wolverine's descent to the ground using optic blast bursts. Pew, pew, pew. And Wolverine all the way down goes, ow, ow. <laughs> and he says, or thinks to himself, that stunt would have killed a normal person, but I figured Wolverine's adamantium skeleton could survive the hard knocks. I didn't really know. There's a really good chance that I could have killed him. I'm glad I was right. <laughs> well, he was presuming that he said earlier, even Wolverine can't survive survive uh, that big a fall. Yes. So yes. he figured he would have died if he didn't do anything anyway. So so Cyclops orders Colossus to climb the same cliff. Like, everybody's climbing cliffs this mountain, or this issue. But uh, Colossus is to go uh, climb the cliff and execute the next part of the plan. I will not fail Cyclops. Oh, man, I'm going to be black and blue forever. Because my healing factor's not going to kick in and heal me. <laughs> I'm just griping. Yeah. Buzzer. I'm kind of complaining today. <laughs> it's been a rough day. <laughs> and so Moira is up on the top, I think, turret of uh, Castle Edinburgh. And uh, Proteus is descending upon her, ready to take over her body. And uh, Proteus is saying weird stuff like, Perhaps you should have drowned me at birth, Moira. Like an unwanted bat. An act of hatred and violence created me, mother, and shaped me into what I am today. Out of that creation will come humanity's destruction. Humanity's destruction? When did he When did he start wanting humanity's destruction? Well, we actually kind of missed it, but it was at the very beginning of this issue. She asks why, and he says, uh, 
They are human, Moira. They must be taught who is master. So, again, I don't know if he wants to enslave the human race or if he wants to destroy the human race. I don't really know what his motivation is. And then I'm kind of equally perplexed about this act of hatred and violence that created him. Like, what was that? Um, well, the hatred was Moira's hatred for Joe. Yeah, okay. But violence? Violence I'm not so sure about. I mean, I think we maybe got the sense that Joe maybe might have knocked Moira around a little bit, but... But how does that create him? But I think, well... I mean, I guess maybe that is combined with the hatred. That's why she hates him. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. They so, But I thought they said earlier, or in last issue, that um, Proteus is 20 years old and she had left Joe 20 years ago. So, like, like they had some makeup sex... And she woke up the next morning and was like, nah, it's not going to work, and then left. I guess. I don't know. So I don't know where the act of hatred and violence came from. This is the first time that somebody in an X-Men comic somebody calls somebody else a stupid cow. <laughs> is it? Mm -hmm. It won't be the last. No, it won't. <laughs> yes, at a loss for negative things to call women, we we, we go to stupid cow. <laughs> you stupid cow. Um, <laughs> So Proteus is about to take over uh, Moira McTaggart's body when Colossus has climbed the wall, grabs him, and throws him. You will destroy no one, monster. What? Uh, he cra Proteus crashes headlong into the ancient stone wall, which Colossus meant to stun him, but instead it shatters his decaying host body into powder. By the white wolf. So Proteus's true form now is that of a humanoid energy-looking creature. Uh, but apparently Colossus is so surprised by this that he has not had a chance to actually like go execute the plan. So Proteus is able to create a psychic-level fire around him, which I guess is supposed to represent the failed rocket launch of his brother Mikhail. Uh, Colossus says Cyclops said that in this state Proteus will be both the most vulnerable and the most dangerous. Okay. How did Cyclops know that? <laughs> I don't know. That's why Cyclops is the leader, Adam. He probably read it in the file. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can kind of say that an animal cornered is dangerous and desperate, so maybe that's what he means, but just just weird. You know, I think I think Cyclops just throws a lot of things out there and every now and then one of them sticks. <laughs> yeah. You know, like oh, I think he can only affect one person at a time. Now that's not right. Uh, he's going to be most dangerous and most vulnerable in his energy form. Like, oh my god, you're right. You are our leader. Oh, I got one. <laughs> one out of 5 ain't bad. The true sign of leadership. So apparently this three-panel montage is supposed to represent Colossus fighting his way through the burning reality of his brother's launch pad thing. And he's able to succeed. In another three panels, he turns into Colossus and he punches Proteus in the chest. It's sort of weird that he waited this long to turn to Colossus, but okay. And we get a weird, crazy, spirograph-looking explosion of black and white. And that's only the beginning of his ordeal as Colossus' dense molecular structure totally disrupts the delicately balanced energy matrices that make up the rogue mutant. In a sense, as she short-circuits Proteus, scattering every fabric of the villain's being, every scrap of consciousness to the four corners of the Earth. Yay. 
Good lord. Metal in any form is anathema to Proteus. That's why I was counting on Colossus to finish the job the rest of us started. It looks like he's done just that, but at what cost? And why did he wait so long to turn into metal? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the point of the plan was that he was metal. Yeah. I mean, everybody who's reading the comic knew that was the point. Yeah, he was pretty well telegraphed from the get-go. It's just weird. I thought I thought what was going to happen was that Proteus was going to take over Colossus's body, and then Colossus would turn to metal, and that was the plan. That'd have been a good plan, I think. Well, so Cyclops asks Jean if she's strong enough to fly them up to the top of the castle, and she's like, "Well, I'll I'll give it a try, Scott." And then effortlessly, she's able to fly Wolverine, Havoc, and Cyclops to the top of the castle. So, With an ease that surprises her and Cyclops both. So I think they're like, this is all kind of precursory stuff to, to big Phoenix storylines coming up. Oh, yeah. So they all land. Uh, Cyclops, or I mean, Colossus is hugging uh, Moira. <laughs> Moira is tiny. <laughs> uh, Colossus is huge. Well, yeah, it's funny, though. She's crying into his, like, abs or something. You need not worry, Cyclops. Proteus is no more. My friend, I knew Proteus was evil, that I, we, all of us, did what had to be done, yet I mourn. Moira, I have no words to comfort you, for I am no good with letters. <laughs> no good with words, no good with turning into metal when I'm supposed to turn into metal. Uh, yes, so Wolverine, in a weird, kind of oddly dark panel, comes up and is like, I'm proud of you, Petey. I couldn't have aced that sucker better myself. <laughs> oh, thank you, Wolverine, I think. And he's got this big grin on his face. Like, I feel like the Colossus that I know and I've read would be like, I can't believe I did this. How will I ever live with myself? I took another human's life. Yeah, I guess they haven't gotten that far in Colossus's character yet. But all I like the... that when Wolverine hits Colossus, it makes a Kang sound, metal on metal. Kang! But hush now. Let Moira grieve in peace. I loved them both, Cyclops, Joe and my son. But now they're gone. Part of me is glad. And the rest is numb. But I'm going to make out with Banshee later anyway, so... <laughs> I'm not that broken up, I'll be honest. And that's when uh, Sean runs up, and they do have a big old smoochy fest in the back. Uh, and the other X-Men kind of look on. So much for Proteus. Everybody's happy now. Well, and that's that's I just that's the that's the thing about this whole story. I just it's over, by the way. <laughs> Finn. They embrace with all the passion of lovers half their age. In that embrace, and the love it represents, lies the beginning of a natural process of healing. Eventually, we restore the bloom to her cheeks, the laughter to her voice. When that happens, the X-Men battle here today can finally, truly, be called a victory. Although, the X-Men seem to be treating it like a victory now, but okay. Yeah, I don't know. This just doesn't feel like a typical X-Men story. I mean... Storm won't even kill bees, for God's sake. So how is she going to even want to have a part of this plan? You know what I mean? Well, Proteus was worse than bees, man. <laughs> no, I don't know. I agree with you. So It was it was wrapped up. It was a good story. It was just like parts of it seemed like they were needed. They, they, were, they were fleshing it out too much, and parts of it seemed like it went by too fast. So just had some pacing issues, I suppose. Yeah, I think pacing might have been... 
might have been the thing. Not exactly. Oh, cool. I like it. I mean, it's uh, it's one of the X Men stories that I remember and like frequently am reminded about. And and you know, when I think of the X Men, it's one of the ones that I recall. Really? Because it's just the yeah. Op- I, I like the whole. Well, you know, I'm a Wolverine fan, so a lot of that has to do with all this stuff we learn about Wolverine's uh, vulnerabilities. And I like that. Yeah. I don't know. This issue for me had the exact opposite effect. It's, to me, it's completely immemorable. Well, well, I'm not talking about just this issue. I'm talking about like the whole three part storyline. I shouldn't say completely immemorable because like Proteus, of course, he's a character. <laughs> what a character that Proteus. <laughs> he's quite a guy. So anyways, uh, yeah. Do we get any mail this week? Oh, we've got some some back mail, uh, backlog mail. We got um, got a letter from Austin Gordon who says, "Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that an MP, as in my MP, will hear about this. Stands for Member of Parliament. It's the UK way of saying I'm calling my congressman." Aha. Uh-huh. And he says that the Mad Bomb War is a reference to the first Captain America story that Jack Kirby wrote and drew after he returned to Marvel following his time at DC. The story wrapped up about two years before issue 224 in issue 200. Keep up the good work. And that, Thank you, Austin, for valuable information. That's we a, always appreciate that sort of thing. That's a tag-up from, I think you did some backstory issue recalling that involved Captain America and a reference to the Mad Bomb War. So really, yep. it had nothing much to do with action, but it's good trivia for us to know. We got a letter on the Facebook from David Steele uh, regarding last issue. He's glad that we've reached the Proteus story. He says that issue 127 is not only the first X-Men comic he read, but also the first Marvel comic he ever read, uh, one of them. I read around when it was first published when he was six years old. He didn't like it very much. It was really creepy, and much of it stuck in his brain. The dead policeman, the blonde girl with a broken-down car, and the weird speech bubbles talking about the one I hate. And all of that made an impression on him, and it was years before he read X-Men again. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Yeah, that is that is uh, it's interesting how those sort of things kind of can affect us. I'm sure I have some things like that, too. Yeah, I don't know. I think... Uh, the only thing I can think of that, that kind of left a mark like that was, um, I think, uh, some old Richie Rich comic books in which the artist was sloppily drawing food that Richie Rich and his dog Dollar were eating, and it just looked like a mess of nasty food. And so now I just kind of equate, like, nasty casserole food to Richie Rich. So <laughs> not quite the same story, but, you know, similar. Did you ever see The Wiz? The Wiz was actually on TV the other day, and I saw, like, one song out of it. But other than that, no, I've never seen it. There's a scene in The Wiz, and I saw this when I was a kid, um, where they're in some sort of uh, parking garage kind of thing. And the, the pillars holding up the garage start to come alive and attack them. And that creeped the crap out of me. Oh, okay. And... and uh, and I watched it like a couple of years ago, and it really wasn't that scary, but still. <laughs> I could see how as a child I was completely freaked out by it. It was a weird movie to begin with. I've, yeah, I've never seen The Wiz from start to finish, only only little bits and pieces of it. Uh, we get anything else? Uh, Mark Sutor, Sutar 
says, great episode. I listen to your podcast at works at work and it makes doing paperwork a lot less tedious. That's awesome to know. Um, what do you do for work? We want to know just out of curiosity. What are you doing while you're listening to the podcast? We always love that sort of stuff. I'm guessing that he does something tedious. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I wish I wish the letter had actually said, um, you make my job completely non-tedious. Because he said just less tedious. It's like we've taken some of the tedium away, which is awesome. But I'd like our podcast to ascend to the area of taking all tedium away. Is doing paperwork a job? Can I don't know. Because like, maybe, maybe he did say what he does, and that's just all he does. He does paperwork just all paperwork. day. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like the people that work at the DMV, they're they're pretty much just doing paperwork all day. They're they're taking paper and filing paper and handing out paper. Sometimes they type it into a computer, but that's kind of a form of paperwork. Oh, but he doesn't work for the DMV. This guy works for the paperwork company. <laughs> oh, they're the people that make the paperwork standards. Like this is how you do paperwork. Right. They do the paperwork on the paperwork. Maybe he's a paperwork trainer, and he goes to these seminars. And he's like, let me show you how to do paperwork. I, I think that's it. You, too, can be a successful paperwork worker if you just follow my nine simple steps. All right. Enough of that. When this guy says doing paperwork, he's he's serious about it. <laughs> I don't just do paperwork. I live paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else? No, that is, that is it. We are caught up on the mail. Awesome. If you would like to join in on our podcast shenanigans, you can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com where we have all of the episodes and you can go on there and leave a comment or just download, listen to all of the back episodes and explore other content that is on that site. Or you can go to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. That's where we try to amass some of our drinking recipes. Uh, just a reminder that if you want to do the psychic switchboard or psychic link, or I want to add one. This was a reference from the comic book Psychic Fix. What, what is is that from this issue? Yeah, oh, I missed that. Well, it's it's Proteus. He had a psychic fix on Storm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I thought that would fit nicely. Although Psychic Fix seems like it might be an alcohol drink, like sprinkled with cocaine. Like here's your <laughs> here's your psychic fix. So. Yeah, I mean, you can add that to your <laughs> recipe, but we're not going to go out and get some cocaine. A, I wouldn't even know where to find it. <laughs> B, I don't know if that's the way that you intake that sort of stuff. Um, you can also follow us at Danger Room Go, and you can go to the iTunes page or the go into iTunes and type in Danger Room under the podcast section. You'll find us there. You can subscribe uh, via your iPhone, your iPod, your iMac, your other, any iDevice. You can also leave us a comment or a five-star review if you are so inclined. And uh, you can get us on Stitcher, and uh, you could uh, call us up at 501-GET-X-MEN and leave us a little message. Yeah, all that sort of good stuff. We haven't gotten any calls in years. You could, uh, your, your psychic link drink, you could you could just tell us. You wouldn't even have to type it. Do it. So there's that as an option. Okay, so let's just jump right here into classic X-Men number 34. And if I were you, dear listener, I would skip ahead uh, off of this section. Because this, this issue is not only terrible, but it's also like kind of a spoiler for 
like I don't understand how like if I was reading classic X Men for the first time and I was going these stories, I would not want to, like that. This this is a spoiler for next issue. It totally is a spoiler for next issue. So that is a very good point. So. Listener, for whatever reason, if you've never actually read or know much about or the finer details of the upcoming stories, then, you, yeah, you want to definitely skip ahead. Uh, Maybe you can come back after we get the next episode up. But, yeah, I mean, if I was just so annoyed that, like, if I was reading X-Men for the first time, I would be like, what is this all about? This like, is... Who's this person? And the very next issue, you'd be like, wait a minute, you just wrecked the surprise. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Poor planning. I know what you're saying. So, so, there you go. Spoilers ahead. And if you get mad at us, it's your own fault because well, we've gone out of our way to warn you about it. So, without further ado, Classic X-Men number 34. On the cover of it, you've got Colossus who's fist pumping and it says and one shall save them. And all the rest of the X-Men are dead. It's crazy. Colossus murdered all of the X-Men. <laughs> this is a Steve Lytle cover. I think it's Steve Lytle, isn't it? Yeah, this is Steve Lytle. This is the June 1989 issue, and uh, it was on sale February 28th, 1989. And the backup story is called Double Negative. And I don't mind this cover so much, i got to be honest. Yeah, it's a good cover. It's a decent cover. Um, yeah, but anyways, the backup story is... Uh, by Ann Nocenti, drawn by John Bolton, lettered by Joe Rosen. And it's not, you're right. First of all, it's a spoiler, and second of all, it's just not very good. Yeah, uh, we should just do this one pretty quickly. <laughs> this, it, look, it, there's, a, there's a lot of John Bolton eye candy in this issue, if you're up for that type of thing. Yeah, it, it takes place in the Hellfire Club. Um, so there are a lot of scantily clad uh women wearing negligees and and uh stockings lingerie there's only two it's it's this woman who's like a she's a servant and she's serving the black king or as we know him mastermind some wine and he's thinking to himself like this woman the trollop and brainless and she's thinking to herself why do i do this i don't understand i'm why am i being stared at i'm so miserable blah 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 so she goes it's a horrible job. And so she goes to talk to Miss Frost, uh, who, who we don't know who that is yet. And apparently in this story, she doesn't know who Miss Frost is either. Yeah, that's true. At least for the next few pages. But she tries to get some sympathy from uh, Miss Frost. But Miss Frost uh, turns around in her and is like, what are you babbling about? What do you take me for? Just another servant girl. I am the White Queen. Yeah, this I mean this this woman in the black lingerie and the black hair, she's she's definitely fishing for some sympathy or something cuz she just goes on and on and on like we have skills and it's hard to be a servant and people should treat us with respect and why is every so why is everybody so sexist and we should stick together and blah 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 and Miss Frost is like, oh, for God's sakes. Let me explain a few things about sexism, girl." It's all in what you use it for. Yes. I, I don't know if I agree with this or not because I don't really feel like it's saying anything. I don't really know what this issue is saying. It's it's doubly interesting that it's written by a woman. So maybe she's trying to say something, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, like uh, I, I guess 
if we have any uh, female listeners out there, and I know we have a few, pick up this and and I want to, from a female perspective, is this story, uh, is this story approaching feminism, or is this story trying to like balance the scales of like a male-dominated writing culture where we have all these scantily clad women? Or am I just looking too deep into this and it's really not saying much of anything? I'm just interested in a woman's perspective. I think it's like the White Queen is essentially trying to say that you should embrace your sexuality and use it to your advantage to get what you need. There is no such thing as sexism unless you give them that power. No one dares look at the White Queen in that way. I fight my battles without getting a speck of dirt in my gloves. Not a hair out of place. Yeah. And then Emma Frost plays a game of chess with Mastermind, which is all in their head, in their mind, and it's very psychedelic. And the woman watches them play, but they are not even moving the pieces. And they end up uh, having a draw. Yeah. Look at her playing her power game. She thinks she's risen above something. She feels so superior to me, yet she is a slave to games. I may be more vulnerable, but the true victim here is that white queen. At least I know one thing. To quit before the game has started is the only way to leave this Hellfire Club alive well emma frost seemed to make it up pretty well <laughs> yeah yeah so there you go that's a very odd classic x-men story I, I don't know i feel like maybe i just i just don't get it because i'm a traditional comic book dude and maybe maybe there is something being said there that is deeper than but but i honestly don't think so so i don't know i i, I don't know either i think i don't i, I don't know I don't know. Uh, I didn't like it. It's a dumb story. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, did you do any ancillary r- reading, Adam? Oh, man. We've we've actually been off. Uh, we haven't recorded for two weeks. So, man, I've, I've read like 20 issues and I'm going to re- – no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, actually, I, I've, been, I've been sick and your wife was also sick. So we've been off uh, for – uh, a few a few weeks and we're we're back to it now but i did read uh five issues including avengers 179 and 180 and uh in in that uh a character named bloodhawk who is a giant bird creature uh goes to a museum to steal a relic back that was stolen from his island home and of course, the Avengers are at the museum unveiling of the relic, and uh, it is revealed that the Avengers can still fly if they land at a commercial airfield. So they are able to go to this island uh, with Bloodhawk to help him rescue it. And it turns out that the island is a giant monolith monster uh, that is now activated because the uh, the relic is distant from the the creature. Uh, Beast battles Bloodhawk, who goes nuts. When and tries to steal the monolith for himself because he's not quite altogether in the head. Uh, Beast manages to get the relic back and puts it inside of the monolith's head. And the monolith turns back into an island. And then the issue gets kind of interesting. Uh, Beast convinces Bloodhawk, who is kind of like a mutant to the island people. I don't know if he's actually a mutant or not, but he convinces him to come back to meet Professor X so that he can be trained to be like an X-Man. But 
when they get back, it turns out that a villain called the Stinger, who has got weapons from the Tinker, has captured the half of the team that didn't go to the island, and uh, he immediately captures Vision and Beast and is about to capture Thor, um, at which point Bloodhawk sacrifices himself, diving into Stinger's shock attack. And um, then it turns out that Beast is okay because uh, with his handy mutant metabolism, he recovered from whatever drugged me in time and I freed the others. So that's interesting. Mm. Uh, Beast rescues the team and Bloodhawk dies. (laughs) So never got to meet Professor X. Where in time did this particular issue take place? Like, was Professor X still on Earth? I don't know. I know it was... This happens right before issue 118, but I couldn't tell you uh, what happens in issue 118. I don't remember. Okay. I'm going to guess that Professor X is not on Earth, but maybe Beast doesn't know that. That could be. Um, Then I read Miss Marvel 22, which is the second-to-last issue of Miss Marvel. It's about to get canceled next issue. Aww. Uh, Miss Marvel gets fired from Woman Magazine by J. Jonah Jameson, but the staff throws her a party anyway because they really liked her, and Mystique is there in disguise, and that's all that really matters in this issue. Okay. Then I read Avengers 181 and 182, which were drawn by John Byrne. And uh, we return to the story of the old man who is seeking Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Ooh, I've been waiting for this. Yeah. And uh, at the beginning, uh, Henry Gyrich reinstates the Avengers, and he decides the new lineup, which is Iron Man, Vision, Captain America, Scarlet Witch, Beast, who says, all right, <laughs> the Wasp and the Falcon, which the Falcon's not even there, and that ticks off Hawkeye. Uh-uh. Uh, the Avengers are like a massively larger team right now. There's so many members, it's ridiculous. Uh, this is when Wonder Man decides to pursue a career as an actor. Ah. That was interesting. Okay. And at the end of the uh, issue 181, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch fall unconscious and it turns out that they are now, uh, their souls have gone into the body of puppets. And the puppets are in a cage that is controlled uh, by the old man. Huh. It turns out in the next issue we find out, Avengers 182, the old man is Django Maximoff. Who? Hmm? Who? Uh, just some guy named Django Maximoff. This is the first appearance of the name Maximoff. Okay. Because I think... Perf- uh, their last name is not Maximov. It's some uh, silly name. I don't know. Whatever the wizards and their their parents are the Wizard and Miss America. Who's Miss America? Some you know uh, like nineteen forties hero. As is the Wizard. Okay. I guess I don't recall hearing their last name in the original run of the X Men. Yeah, I don't think it was revealed. Um, I don't believe. I'll see if I can find it, but I don't. I won't spend too much time. Okay. Uh, oh, Frank, Wanda and Pietro Frank. I did not know that. Is their their current name? Uh, so his children he remembers are Matteo and Anna Maximoff. So of course Pietro and Wanda are confused. Uh, he reveals the story of how he uh, raised them, and he was his people, the Gypsies, uh, sacred medicine doctor kind of magician type guy okay 
their people had a sacred talisman, the Navashi stone, and he's very poor and he has to steal to survive and ends up getting caught by uh, locals who go to, like, they basically hang a lot of the people because uh, they hate gypsies. Sure. Who doesn't? Yeah, and this is still going on today with all these gypsy craziness. Uh, gypsies got no rights. <laughs> Um, it's actually it's in the news recently. Uh, anyway, um, gypsies have always had a hard go of it. So, yeah, the children, his children, Mateo and Anna, flee, and he never sees them again for years until he discovers that they are Avengers, and that's when he starts traveling back with his uh, magical talisman to find them. Uh, the Avengers show up to get their teammates back. And uh, they have to fight mannequins and conjured, conjured gypsy totems such as a toad, a snake, and a night uh, and a hawk, in the forms of toad, princess python, and night hawk. Sure, it's not the real toad though. Oh. But interestingly enough, toad swallows Hank and Janet Pym. That's kind of funny. It, it is. It definitely is. I, I got a I got a big kick out of it. <laughs> um, then they manage the Avengers, of course, defeat Django Maximoff and get Wanda and Pietro back into their bodies. And uh, Pietro and Wanda decide to accompany the old man back to Europe to investigate what the heck is going on and who this old man is and how he relates to them. And I believe uh, this is when Miss Marvel becomes a team member to take Wanda's place as she's on hiatus figuring out who she is. And that story continues, but uh, we'll have to save that for the next episode Aww. for now. Oh, there, there's there's a whole lot more. Okay, good. I mean, we all know where it's headed. I don't know that I do. I mean, I think I do. I'm pretty sure I do. Well, you know the end game. I think so, unless they rewrote that too. <laughs> well, I don't think so, but no. you know, we'll find out. I was pretty confident I knew who um, Lorna Dane's father was, but now I'm not so sure I do. I don't know that they've ever really decided that. I mean, they keep they keep changing their minds about who, whether or not Magneto is her father. Yeah, and I think in uh, I think it's Wolverine in the X Men, maybe. Well, mm -hmm. even though that's an animated series and not in canon, pretty sure that they refer to all three of them as Magneto's children. I think it is established now that she is officially Magneto's daughter. Okay. But it took a really long time to figure that out. But in the TV show, and again, I think it's Wolverine and the X-Men. I can't think that, I don't think there's any other, because it wasn't X-Men Evolution. But anyways, like she's like the ostracized sister. Like maybe she's a stepsister or something, but like Wanda and Pietro were like brother and sister tight. And Lorna Dane was like, eh, you go over there. You go over there. <laughs> yeah. Not one of us. Not one of us. All right. Do you read anything else? Nope. Uh, this this takes us up to issues 120 and 121 of the Uncanny X-Men. So that's, that's where I will be picking up from. We're almost caught up, folks. We're getting there. A few more episodes and we'll be there. All right, then. And then it's time for Dazzler. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. All right, then, folks. Uh, anything else you want to add, Adam? Add Adam. All right, then. Follow Adam at at Adam. But until next time, the danger room is closed. <laughs> <laughs>